Hey cousins, you were listening to Revolutionary Hood Rap with Kim Young of Dope Black Social Worker and welcome back. Listen, this is episode number 20, which is absolutely wild to me because I wouldn't have thought that I would have made it to 20 episodes when I started all this, um, what, six months ago at this point? Like once again, shout out to me, like proving that um, I can commit. I can commit because believe it or not, look, a thug be struggling with discipline and commitment in my personal life. Really good at supporting other people to figure that shit out for themselves. But baby, when it comes to me, huh? So I'm so proud of me. Episode number 20. And as always, thank y'all so much for sticking it out with me as I figure this thing out and journeying right alongside me as I pretend like I know what I am doing and building the airplane while it flies. So for this 20th episode and the last episode for 2023, we have us a guest. And um, I'm often always excited to have a guest on the podcast because as y'all know, I only talk to people that I want to talk to. And this person was someone that I really wanted to have a conversation with. And so when he reached out about it, I was like, hell yeah, like, let's set it up. Let's make it happen. So let me go ahead and introduce y'all to this week's guest. His name is Ronnie Sidney. Ronnie is a licensed clinical social worker, a father, therapist, author, an app developer, professional speaker, and entrepreneur. Ronnie was raised in Tappahannock, Virginia, the same place as Chris Brown, y'all, and attended Essex County Public Schools. While attending Essex County Public Schools, he spent several years in special education after being diagnosed with a learning disability. And so Ronnie's early academic challenges ignited a passion within him to pursue social justice and to work with young people. Ronnie also attended Virginia Commonwealth University's Master of Social Work program, where I also went. And he was one of the very few. And baby, when I say the very few, not just black people, but black men in the program, Ronnie was number two. And so I'm going to go ahead and just dive into this conversation with Ronnie because it was a good one filled with so many gems, so much information that I just know anyone that makes it all the way through, baby, you're going to pick something up. And so let's go ahead and jump into this conversation with Ronnie. All right. Bet. Ronnie, I am um, really grateful that you have made some time. For us to be in conversation because I am really interested and curious to learn more about you, what you got going on, um, your work, your path and journey to becoming a social worker and everything beyond that because we've kind of floated around in some of the same spaces. Right. Um, however, I have never really had a chance to have conversation. It's like one of those main spaces we floated around with in was like VCU School of Social Work. I think we had some overlap or something that hopefully we can and talk a little bit about um but just want to thank you thank you for showing up in this space and like what you're my second male black male to come talk to me so yeah so like when i was in the program it was only like six of us i'm just saying (laughs) i'm just saying can count y'all on two hands right (laughs) right And so that's another reason I'm like, oh, no, we have to have this conversation because a big part of what I do is like doing what I can to increase the visibility of black social workers. But like a part of that is also black male, black male social workers who are in this work and like doing the good fight. Um, So shout out to you for all of that. 
So the first place that I really want to start, and I love to be able to hear this and hear people share around like their journey that got them into the field of social work. How you get here? Right. Oh man, it was it was it was it was a difficult journey. Uh, it was really more so trial and error uh, when I started college. So going back to elementary school, middle school, I was in special education. Um, I did seven years there. Um, you know, I also had a ring room on my head, so I got teased a lot, picked up, picked on, and whatnot. So I think within me, it developed a sense of like empathy. I think I developed my empathy. My dad is a minister, so I grew up in the church. So that community- oh, a preacher boy. Spirituality. I mean, my mom was a nurse, so just kind of just raised yeah. with people. You know, grandma was always cooking and just doing her thing. So you know, it's just I've just always been around some nurturers, man. And um, I think that was really the, the beginning. And then once I went to college, I wanted to major in business because Puff Daddy was like my inspiration. Like I love Puff Daddy. I guess that'll be one of my hood rat facts. I'm about to say because how the preacher son <laughs> is inspired by Puff Daddy is right. a whole thing. Right. I gotta figure out what that's about. Yeah really interesting so you know i was really inspired by puff i wanted to start a business and uh, make a lot of money uh so when i went to college i went to community college first um did pretty good and i transferred to old dominion university in norfolk and uh, when i got there um i was on this website this message board so this is way before like uh this is right around the black planet time and i was on this message board called danger zone and i told you know that i was majoring in business and one of the guys was like why are you majoring in business like you don't have no money to start a business. You don't know nobody in business, you know? And I'm thinking like, dang, like, can I take this business administration degree and get a job, you know, after I got out of college? And in my mind, I was like, no. So um, I changed my major to human services counseling. Mm. And um, when I changed my classes, and I also had this accounting class at eight o'clock in the morning that really kicked my butt. Ooh. And I got a D in it. So I was like, hold on, this might not be my lane. <laughs> so <laughs> I switched to human services Man, I just fell in love with it. the classes. I was just really engaged. I mean, it was just a natural fit for me to be in that field. So um, I ended up getting my human service degree from ODU. Um, once I got out of college, I took a job at the CSB, at the Community Services Board, uh, Mid- Northern Neck Middle Peninsula Community Services Board uh, in Tappahannock, Virginia. Uh, so I took that job um, and I started off as a substance abuse and adolescent counselor. So you know what the you're going to wear like 50 different hats. Every single hat. <laughs> every, you gonna, every unit. We don't matter. <laughs> so I was wearing the head of a substance abuse counselor, which I had no experience in, <laughs> and adolescent counselor. So I was doing some groups. I really love that's, that's when I fell in love with doing group therapy. Mm. Um, and luckily where I was at, I had three or four seasoned therapists, licensed therapists, all social workers were like, you need to go get your ma- You need to get licensed. You need to get your master's degree, get licensed, and go to VCU. So it was like three of them just kept beaming, like, you need to do that. You, you, and I was like, you mean you mean to tell me you really want me to go back to school? Like, I'm a grown man now with bills. So <laughs> I, you know, I I bounced around. I did behavioral. Um, I, I was a behavioral health uh, tech with the kids, behavioral support mm-hmm. tech in the schools. I did that. I did intensive in home. And I just hit a ceiling. Like, I couldn't really go any higher. Everything, yeah. every job after that was sort of lateral. So, you know, I decided to, to apply to VCU. At the time, VCU was like ranked 10th in the country. And so it was, yeah. I get in this program. So <laughs> I applied, you know, I got in, you know, I uh, moved to Richmond, you know, worked on the degree, um, was blessed to complete my degree in 2014. Um, you know, and I was like, man, this is this is a pretty, pretty good field. 
I really was a little disappointed in VCU. I was expecting a little bit more, like, I'm thinking social work. I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to be, you know, like Martin King, you know, <laughs> you know, Mary McLeod. But I'm thinking about the, the pioneers. And I got yes. all these freaking research classes. And, you know, I did, at first I did macro and I switched to clinical because my, again, the OG social worker was like, you need to go clinical because even if you don't use it, you know, you, you can, you can, so even if you don't, even if you have the clinical license, you can still go macro. But if you go yeah, macro, you, you can't go the other way. So, you know, I switched to clinical after my first two years. Because my last year, I went full-time. My first two years, I went part-time. Because in the meantime, I had a child. I had my first daughter. Um, I had to move back to Tappahannock. And I had a t I took a job at a prison because there was really no other jobs in counseling I could do. Mm. This is all while you were still in grad school. This is all what I'm still in So grad even school. before you got to grad school, how many years were you working before you applied to go to the social work program? Wow. So I graduated in 14, 2011. So I graduated ODU in 2006. So I went back in school in 2011. So five years I was in. Yeah. Field. So you had five years under your belt before you even applied to go to the graduate program. And I just want to stop us right there because I, you know, I took time off, not that amount of time, but I took time <laughs> off between like undergrad and grad school. Did you notice a theme of like folks you might've been in class with that had no experience um, between undergrad and grad school? Like they jumped straight to grad school without having any kind of work experience and some barely had lived experience. Did that show up for you in some of your classes? Yeah, it was crazy. Cause you know, VCU had an accelerated program. So you're right. I mean, it was just going straight through. No, you know, oh, nothing. <laughs> uh, except for the practicum experiences. But I know at yeah. that time, they were people were getting a hard time finding a practicum site, you know, and it was a difficult Luckily for me, I did mine back home where there's not a lot of, you know, graduate students. Mm -hmm. The little, you know, it was, it was saturated, of, you know. So when I went back home, they were, you know, open their arms, you know, to get a job. But yeah, I wasn't a lot of, most of my class were, you know, 20 year olds, 21, 22 year olds. There was a few old heads in there, you know. And um, for <laughs> me, I'm glad, I, I'm glad I did that route because yeah. having that background, that experience, it just makes what you learn a lot more applicable and it makes a lot more sense. And, um, you know, because you got the experience, but now, you know, you want the knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and and I also went back because I was burning out, you know, being a black male social worker. Man, they give you the most challenging cases. Like every mm. black male, every boy, you know, that's having challenges, they throwing them to me. So I remember when I was doing the day treatment, you know, my colleague, she was a white woman. She had three clients, kindergarten, first, second. I had like eight clients, you know, the, the sixth, seventh, eighth graders, the, you know, the kids that had the most behavior problem. I even took some of her kids that were young that had behavior issues. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought I could save the world. I thought if I love these kids enough, if yeah. I get much of my time, like I was, you know, I, I didn't have kids. So I was, you know, taking them on the weekends. We would go do stuff. Um, in the summer times, we do stuff. And, um, and I wasn't really getting the results. I expected for all I was putting in. Yeah. And I was like, man, like I'm really working hard, but I'm not really getting it. And then I'm and then also understanding too, these are kids. You know, these no matter how much you love a kid, how hard you work it, you know, they still gonna be kids. Um Yeah, so, and tell yeah. me this, you were working in the same community where you live and where you're from. Right, right, right. So that's another burden. that's another burden too, is because oh, you know these kids and you know, you were, and then of course being the only male maybe two or three males working at the counseling center, but they were in different divisions. Yeah. Like one case manager, one was in substance abuse, 
So none of I was like the only black male licensed or you know anyone who was working individual therapy. Yeah. Um, I had the QMHP, so I was able to you know do some work. Um, but being the only black male, you do feel a sense of you know you gotta take on the tough cases. You gotta you know just do as much as you can to help these kids because they look up to you. They see a young black male in the school, no matter what race. Yeah. Or, you know the kid, they like, oh man, somebody young I can relate to. So. You know, and it was a heavy burden. Um, I got burned out. <laughs> I, I was like, you know, do I really want to expend this much energy on the front line versus, you know, having opportunities and options to, you know, be a supervisor mm-hmm. or to, you know, lead a program. So you know, that, that's really what sort of pushed me to go back to school because I was really just, you know, just, just burnt out and not really having a lot of practical knowledge. Mm. Um, so feeling like, how can I tap into the most amount of people with this 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 little finite bit of time that I have, um, so you know that's really again what drove me to go back to social go to go to get my uh, masters in social masters work, social work, yeah, and then work on getting life, which was a whole nother step. Oh, look, we gonna get to that. I got a question about like um, when you were in the social work program, and even you talking about being one of the only black males at work, right? Like working in the school system I also did my stint in day treatment (laughs) but like so I I understand I'm right there with you um but like being only black male in that space and kind of feeling the pressure of having to do and be all the things did you experience any of that in social work program because there was maybe like two of y'all yeah it was was about two or three (laughs) but it it was kind of cool because you were like the unicorn you know what I'm saying Like, like, like everybody looking at you like Anything come up with like diversity? Uh-huh. Everybody looking like, what is he? You know, what I'm saying. So it was, it was just. You know, <laughs> and, you know, and being in mental health in general, it's not a lot of black male practitioners. So yeah, five years in that space, you really the minority. You know, you really, it's really. Just, you just kind of got used to it. So for you, it was got, like you were just used to. It by the time you got to grad school, it was like, oh, this is what it is. It is what it is. At that Shit, point. I was having an out of body experience, Ronnie. I'm not even gonna <laughs> hold you. I, I was like, there's a lot of white people in this graduate program. I was having an out-of-body experience. So to hear from you, it's like, it is what it is. Like, oh, yeah, like, we really yeah. we show up in different ways in this world. Honestly, the, the sisters help me now, like, you know, because with me, again, my ADHD, it didn't just cut off at the high school. So, you know, deadlines, tests. <laughs> I really had some sisters. I just, just you know, I don't, I, would, I don't know we were coordinating classes, but I would be in classes with a few of them, and they would look out. You know, they would, and I had a really good professor, at VCU, um, what's her name? Oh my God, um, the black Nikki lady, Lee? Nikki friggin' Lee. Look at yes. there was only like three of them too, <laughs> and they weren't even trying to give her like tenure. That was blown. I know, I remember that she had to leave, and then now she's back at the. Oh, wow, uh, she did. Mm-hmm. Yep, she back. I'm like, yo, they were giving. She's actually the the um the program director for the MSW program. Oh, for real. Mm-hmm. It was so amazing. Oh my, I love her. I love yep. her. I love. Her. I love her. She was so great. Probably one of my best favorite mentors. Because mm. um, research, I was scared of research class. I'm like, oh, I got to take three research classes. That's not my that's not my strong suit at all. And um, But I took her, and she just made it so simple. She was like, you know, what do you want to do? I was like, you know, I want to run a you know, nonprofit program. She's like, well, you know, in order for you to get this money, you got to prove that, you know, what you're doing works. So she just made it practice. She made it make sense. Mm. And ever since that day, I was I was locked in, you know, and I gave mm. I gave effort because I'm like, damn, if you're really trying to send a proposal out, you gotta have that research. Like you really gotta know your stuff. You gotta test your theories. So she made it, she made it make sense. 
Um, and I'm thank God she was my first teacher because she sort of helped me with that foundation. Being able to stay, right? Yeah, she made it interesting. Made you know she made it interesting for me. And um, even when I left the program and I worked for the Department of Corrections, I wanted to start a, I wanted to start an expressive therapy uh, program within the Department of Corrections. Mm. And I reached out to Nikki and she helped me with creating a proposal, you know, to give oh, to I them. Love that. So, you know, and also my books, you know, my, my first book, she, she helped me with that too. She even, cause you know, she does, she a Zumba instructor. Yes. When I was working out up there, you know, I, yep. I, I hopped into a Zumba class and she did like this, this Zumba fundraising thing for me to oh, help that's me raise. Beautiful. You know, and I, you, I've used her as a reference, but I mean, I'm t- the power of me, I, if, if, at the end of the day, I do want to go back and teach. Because I mean, just being one black male teacher, black female or male teacher, it really means a lot. Makes you know, a difference. Basically, she was really, you know, I mean, she wasn't my my uh, like my counselor, but I could always go to her and ask her questions. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she wasn't getting tenure was like, like really, like she's a jewel. Like y'all really gonna risk losing her, the one person that the black students really love. Really was going to with us and beyond. You know what I'm saying? The the classroom. Like y'all need to get this lady tenure. Like it yeah, I really think at that time she might have been the only full perfect, like the only full time professor. At least for the two years I was in the program, there were three professors when I first started. Two left the first year, and then it was just Nikki Lee, and I never got a chance to take her classes because they were at night, <laughs> and I was right, like, yeah, I work. <laughs> I gotta work. I can't take her class because right. it was that night. Right. But like the majority of the black students that I knew that were the program, they was all in that night research class. I said, well, it hell, I think I missed the party. Her class were full. Like first day, you better be on it because you're not because she's just a, she's a great instructor. Yeah. I mean, she's a lovely person. I mean, I, I tell you, I mean, honestly, for real, she made the program worthwhile um, because a lot of, and I felt like at that time, BC was really trying to you know, get they were focused on that ranking. So everything they were doing was just focused on maintaining that ranking. And I think they really lost a lot of what it really means to be a social mm-hmm. worker. Like it's a lot of intangible stuff you can't really get in the book. Like it's stuff, you know, and, and how I'm all social justice up. Like how can I, you know, lead a grassroots organization? That's right. what I was really looking for. For the macro but, track and that's what had you attracted to that. Yeah. Ronnie, they weren't gonna teach you none of that. <laughs> but but you see, like, because during that time, I don't know if you remember, they had the, the Wall Street thing. Yeah. The, you know, what was it? Uh, uh, they had that 1%. The they had the, the camp thing. out and everything. Yeah. They had the tents and all that. So I was really into that. Like, I was going, I didn't camp out, but I was out there. Yeah. I was really into it. I was, you know, being, I wanted to just see what was going on. I was out there protesting and everything. And I'm like, the, but the, the college missed that boat. They missed that opportunity. They missed they, a lot of opportunities in that space. Black Lives Matter. I mean, they it, Richmond was like was Richmond was popping, you know, during mm-hmm. the situation. But it's like I, I think BCU kind of caught on during that, but they missed that 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 Wall Street piece. They missed it, and the social work program completely missed it. They missed they a lot, I think, when we were in the program. They missed a right. lot of opportunities to in, really engage and root itself in like community justice and liberation work they missed a lot of opportunity and I remember I had a chance I think it was last school year to speak with the interim dean at the time who has since left the university she's now went back to Texas but it was Rebecca Gomez and some of the she was sharing with me and some of the faculty were sharing with me and even some of the students like there were some sprinklings of abolitionist theories like popping up in the school of social work like actually making that a part of 
some of the course offerings for social work students because I just remember not the most we had was social justice class 603 right 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 that was like the the depths of um my racial or social justice work and exposure when I was in the graduate program at VCU right and it was trash because there are people in that class who knew nothing folks that were shocked by poverty people who were just shocked by like bad things happen to people that don't look like them I was like what is going on in here but but even but even who they highlighted and put on the pedestal of social workers. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Yo, they, they ain't giving no love to nobody. I mean, it seems like you, you got to have a social work degree in order to be acknowledged as a social worker. Or a white lady. Right. Or, or a white lady. Or you helping people. And it's like, man, y'all missed the boat. Yeah, now, there are so I'm many social see, workers. Yes. Now I'm starting to see people who finally get acknowledged who yes. weren't necessarily social workers, but they were doing the, they were doing the work. Nah, I, there are so many people. My favorite social workers would not even be considered a social worker because they don't have a licensure or the degree. But like those are some of my favorite social workers that I lean on in this work. And I really wish I would have been taught and exposed to them because then I think it would have helped me to be able to see myself in this work a lot better. Because for the longest, I was like, am I supposed to be a social worker? Because I don't want to be doing therapy all the time. I'm trying to go uh -huh. get in trouble and make some noise in the right. streets and in boardrooms and like, I'm not trying to go do this therapy stuff. So do I even belong here? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it was rough. It was rough. And so even hearing you talk about that and talk about the disappointment of like not being able to get exposed to that in your graduate program, like you're not even alone in that disappointment. I hear it a lot from social work students now who are demanding more from social work education that they are taught about racial justice, social justice, about equity, liberation work, like how to decolonize their practice in the field of social work. Like this new generation of social workers, they have me excited. Right, yes, yes. Excited. Yeah. And I will also say the bright spot too was just being a part of the National Association of Black Social Workers. Yeah. You know, being on campus in that group. Cause you know I mean, going to, you know, predominantly white school, you know, it, it, you the few people that's in there, y'all got a vibe. You know, you got to find the, the few pieces and, you, you know, click up a little bit because it's it's a definitely a different experience. Um, you know, and a lot of those students were undergrad students who kind of, you know, they did their BSW, then they went and got their master's. So yep. it, was a, it was a group that had worked together, you know, for a long time. And then you had the Richmond chapter sort of being the parent chapter. So, you know, people going to conferences and, you know, once I got out of school, I geared more towards the, the Richmond chapter because I felt like they of the Association of Black Social Workers. Yeah, because yeah. I felt like the college chapter, they were just trying to raise money to go to the conference. That's exactly I, what I, we were trying to do. But there's a lot of shit going on in the community right there. We can really be, but everything was really about raising the money mm -hmm. for the conference. But when they got out of college, the Richmond chapter was really grassroots and they were really doing some work. So I really yeah. appreciate that foundation also as well. And I even joined the National Association and I volunteered uh, at the conference when they had it in D.C. Um, okay. And that was a good experience because at the time they had a black male president and vice president mm. of NASW. So that was cool. And the one thing that changed my life too was um, when they were speaking, they really focused on like social workers. Y'all got to start making money. Like, Y'all got to stop accepting meaning yeah, and not really utilizing your degree to make money. Like y'all not, y'all not supposed to be suffering like this, not making money, getting burnt out, you know, doing that work. And I'm like, yo, I can, you know, that's my, my business. That's when Diddy like tapped me on my shoulder. Like, take that, take that. Like you need to, you need to try to figure out how to monetize this degree. And, um, you know, and, and that's what I thought about really trying to do because 
you know, it, really social workers, man, we, we and a lot of, everybody wants us, like, I'm glad I didn't get my licensed practical counselor, much respect to y'all, but social workers are in demand. Listen, like, and we can go anywhere in the we world. The like, the, world, the MSW yeah. is internationally recognized degree. It's right. one of the most, it's the best terminal degree that I think anybody who, if you don't really know what you want to do, right. go get you an MSW. <laughs> And just have because it. you can figure it out. Like, go get right. your MSW. You can figure out how to get inside of almost any job, any door. Whatever. It was like social workers in Congress. I'm like, we yes. everywhere. We're everywhere. We everywhere. So, you know, when he when he put that little birdie in my ear, man, it really like, you know, I, I need to figure. I need it because at the time, I mean, I was making a little bit of money, but like, once you really see people that's really making money, you like, this ain't no money. And you burned no out money. And there's so much money in this <laughs> world so and people be fighting over crumbs. Ooh. I'm like, do y'all know how much so money is out here? People getting hundreds of dollars just to do a, a 15 minute assessment. It's just, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's so much, <laughs> you can't even really, and it's, and it's crazy because if you really want to be a social worker to make money, you can make a ton of money. You can. A ton of money. But you know, for me, it's, it's the money is good. Like right where I'm at right now is good. But you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's about the love. Like it's, it's really like, passion helping people is always especially kids like and i don't know if it's because my experience as a kid but working with kids has always been something that i love to do um i feel like i have to do it you know mm. even now i work with adults it's detained but you know on the side you know i have my book thing i get to go to schools yeah. i get to speak at these different events and i get to touch a lot of kids and i think for me that's important um i was in uh what was i at Cause I work with the National Beta Club, you know, doing speaking and games. What is that? Um, National Beta. It's kind of like the National Honor Society, but it's okay. for younger kids. So, and, and it's not all academic driven. Sometimes, some so the kids are pretty much. Um, so each school, like uh, let's say I go to SS High School, so SS High School will have a chapter, and then the Tappahannock Elementary and Middle School will have chapters. So the kids will do different projects mm -hmm. that they'll have to showcase at the at the um at the state conferences. So one could be just like creating a dance. What it uh like when I was there last month, um one group came up with an idea. It was like a fundraising idea, um, where they had to they want to do like a 5k race to raise money for something. So you have different project ideas and they'll present them and then they'll judge and then they'll, you know, you know, grade who's you know the top winners and they'll go to another conference. But you know, it, it gives the kids like, a chance to work together, to come up with different yeah. creative ideas. And it's and it's really just about leadership training. And, um, you know, when I was there, I'm starting to utilize a lot of my social work stuff. So, you know, I'm in there, um, I, I cut the lights out. So we in like this really big, huge, um, like this big, huge room, like you would see like a big major conference and, um, I'm doing a healing hands activity. So I'm like, you, you know, you know, draw over your hands and then yeah, write them on yeah. your hand, like, you know, things that you want to get away from the past and then your future and, you know, I'm in there, I'm turning the lights off. I'm, I'm on YouTube and I'm typing in um like like uh mindfulness sounds. So yeah. we in there with sounds and I'm in there, we doing relaxation activities and you know, I'm talking about affirmations. So, you know, mental health is like so big right now, especially yes. after COVID. And these kids are suffering. And what I'm finding out too is the teachers suffering too. Everybody like we all suffering. You Everybody know, is. A, it's crazy because the teachers, I think, are struggling a lot more than the kids. They absolutely are, and making the kids worse. And then making the kids worse. And now, you know, yeah. we're talking about trauma-informed schools. So when I'm going in there and speak, oh, they see my books. I'm like, nah, I'm going to hit y'all with the trauma-informed school stuff. <laughs> I'm going to with the self-care for these teachers. Mm -hmm. So I'm hitting them with stuff. Like, I'm like, y'all need this. Yeah, y'all see my books. 
But while I'm in here, we're going we gonna to throw in some other stuff, too, yeah. because I want to make sure that y'all got y'all, you know, y'all backpacks full and y'all got some tools to, to help get through this madness because it's crazy out here. So I want to talk about the books. I want to also go back to talking about social workers making money mm-hmm. um, and talking about, like, some of these skills that you have developed as not just as a professional or official social worker, but just like all throughout your career pathway that you've been able to like transfer into these different areas of being an author, being a public speaker, and like all these different places where your skill sets have landed. Because to your point earlier, social workers can be out here making money and that is absolutely okay. One of the reasons I believe we're not out here really maximizing our financial potential is because we don't know how to market our skill set our different and variety of skill sets and transfer them into different industries. How have you been able to do that? Because you're doing it. Um, well, I would say the book thing was a little different because my approach to that was really about vulnerability. Um, and what is that author name? She's a white lady. Brene Brown. Yes. Renee, she's amazing. She's amazing. And I had a chance to see her speak at that conference when I volunteered and you know, just her talking about the vulnerability piece. And, you know, for me, that my first book was really about being vulnerable. And I feel like uh, even when I was in college, I hosted open mic. So I was always doing poetry, being vulnerable, sharing things. Um, and I think once I got that comfort of sharing vulnerable things and using this as like a therapeutic tool, yes. it really made it easier for me to sort of relate to the clients because, you know, I'm able to share some of my stuff you know, and not, and feel comfortable doing it. Um, Cause I remember when I was in class and uh, well, actually I was going for a job and one of the trainers was saying that he shared something with the kids. It was vulnerable and the kids took it and made fun of him and he felt mm-hmm. bad about doing it. You know, but for me, you know, I, I don't feel bad about it anymore. And I'm actually appreciative of those experiences. And again, my dad was a preacher. So public speaking is something that, you know, sort of came natural for me. Yes. And when I was looking up the books, they were saying, if you publish a book, it can actually increase or enhance your public speaking fees because now when you write a book, they look at you like a subject matter expert. So having these books actually gave me- And how many do you have now? I have seven. That's what's up. So it actually increased my platform to do public speaking. So now I can be vulnerable. Now I'm sharing my vulnerabilities. And when I, once I published a book, the one about special education, I had people reaching out from me all the way from Australia. Yeah. I was in special education and, my teacher didn't think I would do anything, and now I'm a doctor, or mm. I'm a lawyer, or you know I'm this and that. I mean, it's just like, you know, when people shoot people down, it almost like motivates them to want to do more. It really does. So when I say Nelson beats the odds, it's really just about those kids you work with as a social worker. Those kids, all of us social workers, and work with it at some point in life that had all that potential, but they had a lot of barriers. They had a lot of mm. you know things you know against them, and you know just really motivating them and encouraging them. And I really wanted to use this book as a tool to motivate them and encourage something they can have tangible in their hand. Cause I know at a therapy session, we might get an hour, you know, you might not even come back after two sessions, but if I yep. give you this book, you can have that for life. <laughs> you know, you can take this book with you. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it's impersonal because I can sit there and read this book with this client during a session and we can talk about Nelson, but the whole time we talking about you, you know what I'm saying? So a lot of times with kids, you know, kids don't like talking about themselves. A lot of times they don't even know what's wrong with them. You know, <laughs> they just know something not right. <laughs> a lot of times, it's really their parents is the, the, the should be the, the client, but you know, of course, the kids are the ones who symptomatic. So 
you know, a lot of times you can talk about a certain thing or a certain person using books. Um, you know, and expressive writing is a good tool too because now we can just write. You don't even have to talk. I can just mm-hmm. give you a prompt. You can write it and then we can share it and discuss it. So, um, you know, those transferable skills from, you know, writing the poetry to writing books to being able to do an expressive writing, uh, you know, uh, prompt in, in a therapy session, yeah. they all sort of go hand in hand. And just over time, you know, you just start perfecting and, you know, and just crafting these different things. And then you can use it, um, you know, not just in therapy, but then even in your personal life. You know, now I'm going to schools and I'm using those same skills with kids who aren't necessarily, you know, kids getting therapy, but they can use these therapeutic tools to help Absolutely. themselves. Absolutely. What are the names of the books? So my first one is Nelson Beats the Odds, um, Tamika's New Dress, which is a book that really I, I wrote really based on my, my, my um, career as a social worker, uh, because Tamika... I really wanted to take a lot of different kids' experience and sort of put them into one character. So Tamika, she's a gifted, you know, black girl, mm-hmm. um, but she has a difficult home life. Um, and her home, uh, her, her mom is abusing drugs. Her stepdad is abusive. You know, her, her she's sort of the the parentified child. You know, mm-hmm. taking care of her younger siblings. Um, you know, her the kids end up getting taken away from the mom, and they have to go live with grandma. Which you know around here, you know, there's a lot of grandmas raising babies. Absolutely, a lot of, absolutely. You know, grandma raises her. She goes to a new school. She gets bullied, and I'm, I'm talking about colorism. So she's light skinned. She gets bullied. You know, made fun of because of her complexion, and she's already been through this traumatic past. So you know, not someone that has a lot of self esteem. So her grandmother, she uh, sews her this African style dress, and gives it to her, and it really helps increase her self esteem. And I, I look at that as when I was at Old Dominion, um, most of my education actually came from this bookstore called Brother George's Bookstore out on 35th Street in Norfolk. And Brother George was like, a he was, used to be in the Nation of Islam, but he'd have all these books in his store and all the brothers in the community, like all the conscious brothers. This is before the whole woke stuff. This is before all of that. <laughs> we, oh, he OG with it. This is before, this is before the, M-ho, the, the whole tapping and all of that. Yeah, Grand Rising. Peace right. and hotel, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's in there just getting knowledge, just soaking knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. Each week and every Saturday, you know, they had different workshops. That's when I got on with, um, I don't know if you know, like Renoko Rashidi, Ashwa Kwesi, um, uh, uh, Dr. Ben, um, Asia Hilliard. You know, uh, the guys, like, I'm learning about Kim. Like, guys that really study Kim. Um, mm-hmm. It, you know what I'm saying? It's really teaching it. So I got exposed and introduced to a lot of history that was not told to me in school. Yeah. So I started really, you know, I'm looking at Nubia. I'm like, dang, so the Nubians conquered, you know, Kemet for a minute. And I'm just really learning all these things about myself I never knew. I grew up in a rural area. You know, when I was in school, they had a Lee Jackson King Day. I'm talking about Stonewall Jackson, Robert E. Lee. All in one day. We yep. celebrating everybody's birthday in one day. Yep. Um, you know, George Washington birthplace. Robin Lee birthplace of like 30 minutes from my house. So, you know, we learned more about Confederate history in school than we did about black history. Mm-hmm. Black history we learned. It started, it's really American history. It's not even, yeah. But it really wasn't. <laughs> I was, I, and I was, when I graduated college, I, you know, the first books I started reading once I graduated high school to college was the philosophy of the opinions of Marcus Garvey. And I read W.E.B. Du Bois, Souls of Black Folks, yeah. and Booker T. White. It was all, it were all in one book. I'm like, yo, even I remember that book. I think I used to remember have that book. That book. 
But they did remember, put all three of them in one book. Even the way they taught Booker T. Washington was yeah. not accurate. He made us think he was a white man. They didn't even teach you about Marcus Garvey. Yeah. They completely dismissed him from history. But, you know, in, in, in Tamika's New Dress, I really wanted that book to be a book that just inspired, you know, culture and really was a book where kids can feel good about themselves. So I'm talking about bullying. I'm talking about, you know, being raised by grandma. I'm talking about, you know, using words to confront bullies and to confront conflict mm -hmm. versus using your fists. Mm -hmm. So okay. um, you know, with that book, I really wanted to, again, highlight those resilient kids I worked with and just put a book in the kid's hand where they can see themselves. And when I started writing my books, I don't know if you know Kwame Alexander. This is mm -hmm. an amazing, he's an amazing children's uh, author. And um, I asked him when I first, probably when I first put my book out, I asked him, I said, you know, what advice would you have for a young author? And he was saying, yeah. You know, just remember that books are mirrors and windows. He mm. said that, you know, books are, are, are mirrors to those kids that can relate to what's going on, but they're windows to those kids who have no idea what right. it's like what right. they're currently experiencing. So my books, I'm like, I want to be, I want I want my book about a disability to be a mirror to that kid who never experienced it, but to that kid who's, you know, straight A student, you know, excelling, I want them to see like, hey, this is what it's like for those other kids, you know, that you may not understand and or I know, know get yeah is, you know and um Tamika's new dress the same thing I wanted people to know like hey kids are going through abuse you know kids are and the teachers know right. social workers know exactly what's going on in right. the home but most people don't have that 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 glimpse that we get you know in social workers and I really feel like we gotta share the pain like mm -hmm. when you when you read my books you're gonna be you're gonna cry you're gonna get upset you're gonna get angry you're gonna get sad that means you did I something feel, right Right. I feel like our kids, the, our clients, you know, us ourselves, we got, we have a lot of pain, but it's a lot of pain that we internalize and we don't really speak about it because sometimes we don't even recognize it as trauma. Absolutely. You know, we, just, we think it's normal. We, just we another day. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to, you know, put these books out to let them know like, Hey, some of this stuff ain't normal. Um, in my third book, Rest in Peace with Sean, that was inspired by Tamir Rice. Um, mm. So it's a book about a young man whose brother is shot and killed by the police. Mm. Um, you know, with Tamir Rice, just being a therapist and the kids, of course, being my heart, you know, to see him get killed the way he got killed. And then with Michael Brown and Trayvon yeah. Martin. Yeah. I mean, stuff like really like, it, it messed with my soul. It messed with my soul. So for me, I'm like, you know, there's, I wanted to speak on it. Uh, and that's probably not my most popular book, but it's the only book that I, I won a book award for. Um, <laughs> of the timeliness of it, you know, because yeah. right during the you know, the Michael Brown, Black Lives Matter, Trayvon. Yeah. You know, and um, when I was writing the book, I actually utilized kids that I work with. So when I was speaking about Nelson Beast to Oz, I'm like, hey, guys, I have this other book idea that I'm thinking about, and I'm giving them the draft. They're reading it. Mm -hmm. So they're actually giving me different ideas. So oh, I read, love it. It has question and answers that I actually utilized when I went to speak to some kids at JMU. It was, a, it was like a black male cohort. They have this program where they bring, you know, like 90 or 100 black males to the campus. Mm -hmm. And I was invited by a friend to speak there. So when I spoke, I gave, I broke them in groups and I gave them questions like, you know, what is it like to be a black male in America? You know, what are some solutions that you have for, you know, fixing, you know, the problem between the police and the community? And I would, t and I took those quotes and I included them throughout the book. Mm. Um, in Portsmouth, I was talking about Nelson Beast the Odds but I had an opportunity to work with the kids doing a workshop and I just had them write essays. What is it like 
you know, living in your community? What is it like? Once they read the story, just kind of jot down. Like, what are some initial thoughts that you have after reading the script for Rest in Peace with Sean? Yeah. And I one of the kids' essays in my book because it really just spoke to everything that the book was about. I'm also um, loving these names. They're very black. Right. It's not, so, you can't mistake it. <laughs> you know, I gotta be, I gotta be or Rashawn, like you just, you can't escape it. Like you can't, you they're not, very black. <laughs> I'm making them black. <laughs> and one of the schools, <laughs> one of the, schools the, the kids play for the Pharaohs basketball team. And, you know, one of the sweatshirts says Kimmin on it. So I'm dropping little sprinkles of <laughs> You know, because, you know, with symbols and those are things that yeah. we did back in the day and it really meant a lot. And I just want to bring some of those symbols back because you just never know how you can unlock a child. So, so what know. is the book number four, five, six and seven? What are the titles of those? So um, Rest in Peace with Sean Reloaded. Um, I took Rest in Peace with Sean and I added some more stuff to it. OK, so I changed the cover because uh, the initial cover had a, a toy gun on it. Mm. And my friends who are friends were like, man, they I wouldn't they can't put that in schools. Can't School, so yeah, I had to change the cover, and um, that was when Colin Kaepernick was kneeling mm-hmm. on the cover. Of Rest in peace, Rashawn Reloaded. You know the players are kneeling, okay. and they look like they have 49ers uniforms on. Yeah, and then I included in the back of the book. I reached out to this organization who had these ten tips people can use whenever they're confronted by the police. Okay, you know, one of the tips was like police lie. You know, one is like, you know, especially you kids. You don't. So tips like 10 things you can do when you're confronted by the police because nobody teaches us what to do they don't my dad was a police officer and i don't know what to do you know what i'm saying so <laughs> i've been in the car when he's been confronted by the police so you know but nobody really especially when it's that fight or flight you know moment you traumatize you know every react every interaction could potentially be a death right. sentence so you know just teaching kids how to how to how to respond to police how to deal with those you know i included those tips in the book and then i included those essays and things that i did with the okay. kids in the book also um so uh my fourth my fifth book was just a combination of nelson b size and tamika's new dress in one book um then i did an activity guide that has okay. coloring pages and uh like puzzles and then it has some blank comic strips so a kid can create oh create their own and then i also did an educator's guide so this is sort of so I, it's like a chapter on trauma mm-hmm. it's a chapter on disabilities so this is where i'm sort of just giving some references to different layers of the books that yeah you know, like how to apply the yeah the story yeah i can put it in a teacher's hand yep so now they can teach using these books yep um i also came up with an app i was just real busy from come on diddy D- listen i see why diddy came and tapped you on that shoulder again <laughs> diddy t- but, but but the wife she won't she was you like bro you going you going too far but really that's been my personality my whole life like i just go far I, i'm like i'm in i don't know how to swim but i'll be in the deep end you know but you I'm in tap a hand and you can't swim Water all around y'all. Hey, that's a whole nother podcast. We got to talk about that. <laughs> we have no access to the water. What? The water is, is is privately owned. We got this little this little slither of, of of land where everybody in the county can just go to to go fishing, but it's terrible. The social justice. Uh, it, it, I've been I've been leading a social justice charge here, and it's been like it's been the most challenging process in my whole life, but. Yeah, people, we have, we have no access to water. We're going to talk we, about that a different day. Y'all can't even get to the water in Tappahannock. That's wild. That's a whole, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> wild. <laughs> um, so you got all those seven books that you've written, but you've utilized so many different skill sets to be able to make that happen. But I think the biggest thing that I take away from that is like, you really just want to be able to, 
share your experiences and stories in the hopes of also elevating the voices of those you have worked with while also right. like giving people resources, circulating information and powers, so they can do with it as they may, right? right? And money just happens to flow, right? Money yeah. just happens to flow from those things. And yeah, like it's a goal when you go out and you write a book and you self-publish and you do all this other kind of stuff. But I think what I kind of hear from a lot of social workers that get into this entrepreneurial space is like money isn't the primary goal. Money is the thing that it'll happen and they want it to happen, but it's not like right. I'm doing this for money. Right, right, right. Does not mean we don't want to make money, y'all. We want to make money, but I realize what I've really come to understand from like a lot of people in our field that are dabbling in like this this entrepreneurial space, trying to think about how we transfer our skills to then maximize our financial potential, is like not leading with the idea of making money. And I think that makes us pretty marketable, if you ask me. Absolutely, and authentic. I think it also makes us authentic when we're trying to show up in these different kind of spaces to figure out like what's for us and what's not. But I mean, I think too, again, you know, for me, like I, I got my, I got my, I minor in business. So some social workers don't want to deal with the business stuff. At I all. Like, stuff. like I love the marketing, you know, I love, you know, you know, seeing how much I can, you know, sell these books. Yeah. I like the business side of it too. But if you because it is a business, it don't matter what you do in the field of social work, you're running a business, private practice, consultation, coaching, whatever it is, you're running a business. So like at some point you got to reconcile whatever that look is inside of you. And I think for a lot of social workers, especially those that, um, you know, carry minoritized identities and oppressed identities, have to just understand, like, you can't escape capitalism. You cannot opt out of capitalism. You can decide how you want to participate in it, right? but you can't opt out of that thing at all. So at some point when you're able to sit and recognize that, like, these are the rules I got to play within. And no matter how hard I might push and resist against it, you're not a capitalist. They're not going to let you get into the 1% to control anything in the owning class. So you got to decide how you want to participate in capitalism. Absolutely. Got to get it. Don't got to agree with it. You can resist it, fight it, push for change, you know, all of those. But like, you also got to figure out what is your level of participation. Right. And, and honestly too, and for any students out there, Hey, I would definitely encourage y'all to mix your practicums up. So I mix did one up at the CSB because it was easy. I knew the people that worked there, it was convenient. I did my second one at a private practice. Mm. And the lady, she had a chiropractor that came in a couple of days a week. She had Reiki that came in. She was selling tea, you know. Money. She, you know, <laughs> and, and she had, you know, her own clients. She had another yes. had, you know, paying rent, you know. So she had a lot of different things going on in her one business. And she was like, hey, if you can find a way to make money, you can make money doing your practicum. So I went in the, um, I was in a jail doing fatherhood groups uh, and I, I sent a couple of therapists and because, you know, she could self-pay, I would get in clients. She would give me clients. It was self-paying and she was paying me a little bit of money to do groups and also to have clients. But, you know, it's like, hey, you get it out the mud. Like, And I don't think a lot of social workers and and, I, and honestly, I'm not looking at VC program. A lot of social workers are privileged. You know, they came yeah. from money. They didn't really it's a privileged to- field. Oh, they had husbands who yeah. you know, did the heavy lifting and they just, yes. you know, they worked in social work just to feel like they did good for the yes. work, you know. But it really won't, like, I'm really trying to help save my people. Like, I really feel mm-hmm. like I had, I was like, hurry up, and like, <laughs> I need to get this knowledge, I need to tell you about getting my people <laughs> so we can get so we can get free. Get free. So it was a whole different type or of Or leave you behind. You either come alone and get free or right. might have to right. bang, 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 because you know she wasn't opposed I, to putting somebody under some dirt. <laughs> <laughs> 
because <laughs> you're not gonna sacrifice everybody's liberation because you're being foolish. Absolutely right. <laughs> um, so I really want to make sure that we talk about this piece because I think it, it's useful and I think it makes a difference when folks can hear more stories about what it's like to like work as a therapist, work as a social worker, especially like with young people, with kids, all the things you're exposed to, what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've been asked to do. And you got your, you have kids of your own, a family of your own, a wife of your own, a household of your own. But yet when you're out in this field and in this work, I can only imagine, because I've been there too, the type of stuff you have seen, type of right. stuff you have dealt with, um, with the population that has chosen you. And so how are you really finding that balance with like your family and mm -hmm. like your purpose out there with black people, especially youth? Right, right. It's, 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 it's it was challenging, especially at first, again, because, you know, the, the books were expensive. So I'm taking the money I'm using at work and I'm funneling it to my passion, yeah. which yeah. is taken away from my family. So that was, that was a, really hard balance but it, after a while the, the books started paying for themselves mm -hmm. getting so the grind was like i love this i believe in this but at the same time i need to make money because i need to be able to 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 re-up you know because i'm taking away from my job to, to fund this so i need to be able to make some money just so i can break even or even make a little bit more um so i think at first it was rough because i really wasn't making any money i was putting a lot of money into it but once i started really hustling you know, getting speaking engagements. Because at first, I was doing free speech. I was just going to, I was like, Pastor, can I come speak at your church or to your <laughs> group or schools? Can I come speak for free? And eventually, I started, you know, charging two fifty, five hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. know, so my fees started to go up. But as they know, should, if I wasn't making money. It, I wouldn't have been able to do that because then I'm taking away from my family. I'm not being able to provide. I'm not being able to do those things. So it also made me look differently at my job and what I'm choosing because. Again, when I was working towards my social work program, I was making $29,000 a year working Tell for them. the department of <laughs> They weren't. And, they and that's a full-time salary, right? Bottom. Now, listen, it was people that started that didn't even have a, a associate's degree, and they were making as much money as I did. They didn't even care about your degree. They didn't care if you were working towards your master's. Everybody yeah. got the same amount of money. Yeah. And um, I was I can't live off of this. This ain't, this ain't working. But I appreciated those experiences there because I understood that this is just a this is a stepping stone for me to get to where I needed to be. Yeah. And I will say I'm fortunate to work there because it, they gave me three hours a week. So I only worked 37 hours a week. I was able to go to college. I could leave work early to go. They paid me like four or five thousand dollars a year to help me pay for the classes. Mm -hmm. I could work on the weekends. I could flex my schedule. And it really made it really. It was difficult because I didn't spend a lot of time with my daughter, like the, mm -hmm. the, the youngest one because I was trying to get my degree and doing all those different things. I felt like I missed a lot of her life. So when, this, when um, Malia came, she's five now. Mm -hmm. I, was, I had a better job. I was licensed. So I had a lot more flexibility with my time. Yeah. And that's also when the books really started to go. So um, I had a little bit more time with her. Um, now with my ba baby Todd, she's um, nine months old. I, I work with, uh, I'm working as a contractor with the federal government. And um, I really want to let the listeners know, you know, USA Jobs, um, also STG International is another website that you can go to. Um, I uh, apply for my job through there, and they offer social workers really great salaries. 
um, you know, right now as a contractor I'm, for the federal a, government, mm-hmm. I'm making hundred and fifteen thousand dollars a year. Nice, That's the base salary. Yeah, I work also work on call, so I'm getting that plus more. You know, That's what's up. federal and you work from home. No, I, I work at a, I work at you reporting. Okay, mm-hmm. but there's another thing called the United States Public Health Service where you yeah. can be. A, so you uniform. You don't carry a weapon. You don't have to fight no wars. But you are a uniform officer. And they have a ton of position for social. I wish I would have found out about it before I even got into my job. But they have a ton <laughs> of social workers. You can try, and, and they literally, you can work in, um, you can work in ICE. You can work for, um, what is it, uh, the CDC. Okay. You can work for. Um, like the different federal agencies. You can work for the VA. Mm-hmm. You're an officer. And that means you can get a GI Bill. If you, even if you don't use it, you can give it to your kids. Right. Uh, they pay you a housing allowance. You get a certain. You get extra money for being licensed. You get extra money for getting extra certifications. Um, you can retire after twenty years, and then you can go work as a as a GS and continue to make that same salary while you're getting your retirement. Mm. Um, just a ton of different opportunities, things I didn't know about until you know I got this job. But getting that job, I was able to buy a house. You know, I was able to buy a new car. I was mm-hmm. able to. And now my breathe. Kids, they, it sounds like be able to breathe a little breathe. bit. They can go to dance classes because <laughs> yes. before I get any sort of work out here watching it, insurance is crazy, especially if you got a family. Mm-hmm. I mean, am I working for the CSB? I'm thankful that I had that experience because it really built my foundation. But the insurance, when I was single, I ain't even really pay no mind to that insurance. But once you start adding kids, you start having one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, that's the whole check. It's like eight hundred dollars every. <laughs> So you know, you think at eight hundred dollars a month now—that's like every two weeks. So every that was two weeks. I couldn't. I couldn't do anything. You know, my kids—we couldn't. We couldn't really have no fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't take the wife on a vacation. I could. I was just suffering. You know, I was just struggling and suffering. Luckily, the books gave me some supplemental income. But now with this job, I'm able to chill. Like I don't have yeah. to take speaking engagement. I don't have to go to every event to vend. You know, and it that's just gives that I can finally breathe. And now I can get back to the community, you know, and mm-hmm. I can utilize and and be that philanthropist. Yeah. And do things get like money. Get I got people, a money. little bit of extra, you know. <laughs> but when I was just, you know, grinding, it was no extra money, you know. And and that's the part of social work. I really want people to see, like, you know, loyalty, because I think social workers are loyal, loyal to you a know, fault. Not, and I didn't want to leave my job because I put ten years in. But I had to leave because they weren't giving me the opportunity. It wasn't serving you anymore. It wasn't serving me. Yeah. So I took, I took my little retirement and I put that for the down payment for my house because I like my kids. We got I got to own something. Like I didn't work this hard. You know, it's all these, you know, social work you grind. Yeah. I don't have show for it. Nothing. You know, it wasn't until I got the job that gave me more income that I was able to really start doing the things that I should have been entitled to doing, you know, early on. But mm-hmm. Not having that income, not really understand how to navigate the system, um, and not really knowing the system either. Right. Like I got on to getting played job. by the system at the end of the day. So STG International website, USA Jobs, um, and type in United States Public Health Service. If you're a social worker, a dentist, a psychiatrist, psychologist, a nurse practitioner, there's so many opportunities for you working with the federal government. Um, you can work over. I mean, it's just so many. It's just it's crazy. Uh, 
The officers, though, like if they have a hurricane, they'll bring the social workers out to work with the people to make sure that they, mm. you know, provide mental health services mm -hmm. for them during emergencies too. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's so many great opportunities that they don't teach you about in school. You know, the VA was like, this. remember in school, the VA Cause was Because they would like, push the VA. Everybody wanted to go work for the VA. Turns out they don't even hire you if you're not licensed. So why you got these people in our face? Right. None of us right out of school can go work for them. Right. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Also, too, the federal prisons is not the most attractive job. But, you know, you can you can make that same amount of money working for the feds. The only thing about if you work in the federal prisons, they train you as an officer. So even though you're a social worker, you also you're going to have the power dynamic of an officer. Right. And I know that can probably be an internal conflict for that, for that a lot is. of folks. Yeah. So be careful with that one. But look at <laughs> <all the> <laughs> So, I mean, we talked about a lot of important things. But the most important thing that I think we got to talk about is like the type of hood rest stuff you like to do. And I like to ask people this question that are in this work, because for one reason, I am committed to reclaiming the word hood rat, not me, Kim, but like the culture and the people we taking that bit um, because it means so many different things to different people. So like for me, the hood rat stuff I love and doing is like laying on my sofa and watching Tubi movies, you know, <laughs> like going down a deep YouTube rabbit hole, reading a book, going to brunch, like hood rat shit looks different for a lot of people. Right, right, And right. so- and I'm trying to get away from like self-care because I'm not the biggest fan of that word. Um, right, right. co-opted, I think. So <laughs> when when I ask you and when you share with us, like what type of hood rest stuff do you like? What you be doing? Oh man, so music wise, you know, right now I'm listening to Drake for all the dogs, you know. I feel, oh, we might have to end this call right now. Drake. <laughs> I feel like Soldier Boy. Drake. <laughs> I mean, Gunner. I love Gunner. Gunna, I can receive that. Gunna, um <laughs> what's i like uh you know right the diddy album the love diddy love album. oh the the r&b well, album that's, diddy's that's trying to talk about love um r&b's dead he, he brought r&b back with his album right <laughs> you know, uh, i like i got i like wearing my little black versace shades it make me feel special there you go there you go <laughs> there you go so, you know any, any little chance i get the you know the window, you know, <laughs> you know uh Cir uh, this is kind of like non hood, like Cirque du Soleil. I like that. Me and my wife. Been That's hood rat. We've been going because like, I like going to theater. I love me a good Broadway theater, production. Oh, Lion, so Lion King. We just saw yes. twice. Hamilton is like the most hood rat play you can ever see. I love Hamilton. Did y'all come up here for Frozen? Did you bring the girls up here for Frozen? Uh, they didn't come for Frozen. No. Play so pricey. I'm trying to figure out. Mm, you need a you need a jug on that. Me and the wife. We saw Cat Williams last week. Okay. Uh, that was dope. Uh, we saw Kevin Hart a couple weeks, a couple months ago at UVA. That was that was pretty cool. I like comedy, um, music. Uh, I used to try to rap a little bit. I did a I did a rap battle. I did one rap battle. My last rap battle. Is it on YouTube? Uh, no, nah, I'm glad it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like the uh, I felt like uh, Eminem boy, Eight Mile. When <laughs> I was up there freezing. I I just got murdered. It was horrible. But you know. <laughs> I used to like doing that, but um, you know, right now too, I'm a assistant coach for a football. I didn't even play football in school, really. I'm still learning the little intricacies about the game. But and you coaching? Year, I'm coaching. I'm out there learning with kids. Ain't nothing wrong. They only know what you know, and if right, you don't know right. much, they don't know the difference. Like, plus they, they little they six year olds, so yeah. they baby, they don't really know what's going on either. So they don't know the out difference. There, out there, losses out the way. Oh, I love but, that. But the cool thing is, we made the playoffs. Listen, so and um, you know, we um, we we got a game this Saturday. I'm really excited about it, and uh, hopefully we can win, and then we go to the championship. So 
That's um, what's we had up. a season. Um, of course, being a being a girl dad, you know, my girls involved in cheer and dance, and so that's been an interesting thing. You know, uh, they did they did a little bit of stomp and shake. I love I like stomp and shake. Going to stomp and shake competition. That's it might be woo woo or something. Who knows? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> All that money we investing, you know, I don't need to talk about that. That's why I need another job because. <laughs> them competitions because i used to watch dance moms and so i only have through observation what y'all on the inside be going through um with oh, your that, children girl. who are in competitive dancing and and cheering oh, and all of that it's a whole it's, it's money in that too yeah but see you're a whole human right? right like even though you do all of these amazing things and service to other people alongside folks like we're still human and like people at the end of the day um, right, right, and right. I'm really just continue to hope that people who are listening to this or those who are trying to find themselves in this work, that you never lose yourself because of this work. Right. right. Uh, because at the end of the day, we are humans just trying to find some level of balance with doing good, being good and being able to harass us, uh, whatever yep. that looks like for us. So the last question that I have for you, um, is a reflective one. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what legacy in this work are you hoping to leave behind? Like when it's all said and done, when you're not working as a contractor, maybe you're not touring anymore, talking about the books and doing all of this stuff. What legacy are you hoping that Ronnie leaves behind in the field of social work? Ah, man, that's a great question. Oh my goodness. It's a very loaded question. Because we're not going to do this forever. That's why I asked this question. Right. I need po- people right. to know you right. don't have to stay in this work forever. You don't. You don't think you don't. like, well, yeah, what you want to leave on? I, re- I really want to sort of be a pioneer to really get more people into the field, like especially more black males, yeah. more black women. You know, I want to get more minorities into the field because our, our people, Latinos, you know, um, Im- immigrants, you know, black folks, we have a high need for, you know, mental health support, you know. Um, and I really want to people to see like, oh, he's a social worker. You know, I could I could do that. I could go to college and be that. You know, I can help people. I want to make helping people cool. cool mm, again. There we go. You know, there we go. It's, it's rewarding. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, yeah, it, yeah. honestly, it's so rewarding um, that you don't really even realize. It's, it's, it's kids coming back to me. And I work with them when I was growing up with balance stuff. It's like, man, I remember you, Mr. Sydney. Like, you would always come by and you say, you good? You good? I don't even remember saying that, but like you was always checking on us, just checking in, mm-hmm. making sure. And now they're doing the same things I was doing. They see mm-hmm. what I was doing, they doing. So it's just like, I just want to leave a legacy where people can see me as an example. And whether or not you follow what I'm doing in my shoes, just make life more meaningful by sharing, you know, sharing your skills, sharing your opportunity, your responsibility, sharing your gifts, you know, with the world. And you just leave the world a better place than it was, you know, when you got here. And that's, that's all I really hope is that, you know, folks just love people more, love themselves more, and like, just make this world better, you know, yeah. and and we can do that, you know, but it's going to take a lot. It's going to take more of us and yeah. us getting people to buy into that. Yeah, I love that, though. Making helping cool again. Right. Right. I love that. I love that. Um. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Where can people find you? Uh, R-O-N-N-I-E-S-I-D-N-E-Y-I-I. Uh, that's on Instagram, X, is that Twitter? <laughs> um, you can look at YouTube, I got some videos on that, but you can look up Ronnie Nelson Sydney the second or Ronnie Sydney the second. I'm on Facebook. Um, I got videos, different articles out there. 
Um, again, like YouTube videos. Um, you can look at my look up my books on Amazon. Yep. You can type my name in, find me there. Um, I I'm not on. I got a TikTok account, but I'm I'm, I'm still a little scared of trying to figure it out. Right there I with got, you. Got the little Facebook Meta thing. I ain't even logged in. I just set a profile. I ain't even touched that yet. So I feel like <laughs> an old head because I'm I'm kind of just stuck on the things. And I'm like Facebook. You know, I'm still just comfortable with that. But you can also email me, call, you know, whatever. I, I'm, 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 I have an open door policy, especially with students, young folks that's trying to figure it out. I feel like, you know, we got to be mentors. I was thankful yeah. to have like Dr. Nikki Lee, people I could ask questions to. They weren't, you know, they didn't feel like I was asking dumb questions and always having that door open. Um, you know, I really want to just help just get this next generation up because when I'm in a nursing home, you know, I might need me a good social worker to help get me transferred. Just might. <laughs> I really want to help us, you know, make sure we keep this field alive and that we also, re, you know, uh, maybe re, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not revisualize, but I feel like, like reimagine. Let's reimagine it. Let's redefine it. Let's make it yeah. ours. Because for too long, you know, especially going to VCU, I felt like it was day stuff, you know, but now I want to, I'm taking some ownership of it. And this is yeah, how this ours. It's ours. So, mm -hmm. you know, yes, definitely. definitely. I'm right but there I, with I, you. But I appreciate I'm right there you. with you. Yeah. I appreciate I appreciate the work that you're doing, that you okay. make it so work cool. <laughs> you know, I mean, because we're, it's, it's 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 a great career. It is. Um, laugh, you're gonna cry, you're gonna hate it, you're gonna love it. You know, it's a whole bunch of emotions. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you can say that, hey, I gave time to help. You know, I gave I gave my time to assist somebody that was suicidal, yeah. assist somebody that's homicidal, assisting somebody when they ain't got nobody. Nobody. Left, yeah. You know. And and all you're doing is really listening. You I don't got a lot to give sometimes. All I got some all I got sometimes is just it's listen. listening. I have no it's some compassion. Yeah. I have no magic bullet, no magic. Yeah. Nothing. I'm just here to listen. You yeah. know. And there's power. There's a lot of power in that. You can't power. underestimate a that. A lot of power in that silence too, y'all. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I just let that room just get silent. Get quiet. Get One of my favorite places to be is in silence. Um right. Thank you for sharing your story, sharing your vulnerability, um, sharing your honesty. And thank you for showing up as yourself, like fully authentic and black and proud <laughs> and, and willing to be available to folks who just are curious about like learning more about this work and how they can find themselves in it. So I just want to thank you for being a comrade in this work. It's always really endearing and Inspirational is not the word I'm looking for. It's um, it's affirming, right? right? Like I, you hear a lot, we see a lot about just trash social workers. Oh yeah, that can yeah. continues to be like this dominant narrative. But I exist in a space where there are more people like you in this right. work than them people. And right. so, just thank you for being a representation of that. I appreciate your time, and I appreciate you sharing everything that you have with me and with whoever listens to this. Thank you, sister. Keep doing a good work. Appreciate that. That was a good conversation, wasn't it? And I truly hope you got something out of it. So I do not have a good black word this week. Um, I simply just have gratitude. So much, so much, so much gratitude. And um, also have the hope that y'all are going to welcome the new year with much grace and much ease and much hood rat shit. And y'all, I will catch you in 2024.